Women, bienvenue, and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week, we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week, we'll be discussing Fun Home. And today, I woke up with a feeling that I did not recognize. Oh, our happy life seemed far away, and everything was made of lies. And that's when I knew, oh, 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 everything's all right, babe, when we're together, when we're together, cause you are like a raincoat made out of love, keeping me dry, magic shield of love, protecting me from that weather, rain from the sky, you are like a raincoat made out of love. How are we doing? I hope this episode finds you well. Me, my feet have been killing me. I've been dealing with some sort of a rash on my left foot. My left foot. But beyond that, I am doing well. I hope you are doing well. I hope your foot does not have a rash on it. First and foremost, I want to say here in the opening segment, we are officially celebrating the second birthday of Patty's fabulous baby. This baby, this wonderful, fabulous baby. We will, of course, not be revealing the exact date of the baby's birthday. Per tradition, we want to maintain some level of privacy for Patty and her partner and the baby, but August is the baby's birthday month, and so we must honor them. We are wearing party hats, that's true. Oh my god, the baby! Patty has the baby with her on her end. I have never seen the baby on a Zoom session before. Look at the baby. Oh, my goodness gracious. I am going cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs over here. A toast to the baby. Benny, oh, goodness gracious, we love this baby. Don't we, Benny? Yes, Benny's giving me a big birthday thumbs up. Oh, what a... Okay, that baby, I understand. The baby has to go away now. Patty's partner is taking the baby, whisking away the baby, I should say, but we are so happy to have seen that little baby, a little baby cameo. Who doesn't love a baby cameo? I have met this baby in person several times, and let me tell you, listeners, this baby, I can report, this baby is nothing less than a star sent down from the heavens. So well-behaved, so funny, so funny. This baby is is two years old, and (laughs) honestly, this baby is funnier than most adults that I I know. Can we talk about how glad I am to have moved beyond the Hamilton episode? Oh my god, a lot of work went into that episode. It was it was a process, and I do hope you enjoyed the final product. I hope you enjoy this episode as well. Yes, we need to focus on this week's episode. We need to stop living in the past. We're looking to the future. Let's get some show facts regarding this week's subject. Fun home, show me the show facts. Jonathan, don't yell at me, okay? It's been a long week. My foot has a rash on it, so if you could stop growling at me like some sort of wild beast, that would be wonderful. Here are those show facts you desire so much, you greedy little creature. Fun Home was the 2015 winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on April 19th, 2015 at the Circle in the Square Theater and ran for 583 performances. The book was written by Lisa Krohn. The musical is based 
based on Alison Bechtel's 2006 graphic novel, Fun Home, a family tragicomic. A follow-up, Are You My Mother, a comic drama, was published in 2012. Fun Home may very well be Bechtel's most famous credit, but she is also the creator of Dykes to Watch Out For, a comic strip which premiered in 1983 and ran for a whopping 25 years. The strip originated what has become known as the Bechtel Test, which poses three questions about every given work of fiction. Any given work of fiction, I should say. Those questions are as follows. One, does it include at least two women? Two, do the women talk to each other? And three, do the women talk to each other about something other than a man? Look into the Bechtel Test. It's fascinating. There are so many variations. A bonus fact regarding Alison Bechtel, she received the 2014 MacArthur Genius Award. Hello! But back to the show facts. The music of Fun Home was written by Janine Tesori. The lyrics were written by Lisa Crone. The director, Sam Gold. The musical director, Chris Fenwick. Choreographer, Danny Melford. Scenic design, David Zinn. Lighting design, Ben Stanton. Sound design, Kai Harada. Costume design, David Zinn. And the original Broadway cast is as follows. This is a complete list. We have Michael Cerverus, Judy Kuhn, Sidney Lucas, Broadway debut, Beth Malone, Emily Skeggs, Broadway debut, Roberta Colandres, Zell Steele Morrow, Joel Perez, and Oscar Williams. Let's talk about Tony Nods. This production won Best Musical, of course, but also Best Book of a Musical, Lisa Crone. Best Original Score, Janine Tesori and Lisa Crone. Best Leading Actor in a Musical, Michael Cerverus, and Best Direction of a Musical, Sam. Gold, but it was also nominated for the following Tony Awards Best Leading Actress in a Musical, Beth Malone, Best Featured Actress in a Musical, Judy Kuhn, Best Featured Actress in a Musical, Sidney Lucas, Best Featured Actress in a Musical, Emily Skeggs, Best Orchestrations, John Clancy, Best Scenic Design of a Musical, David Zinn, and Best Lighting Design of a Musical, Ben Stanton. So, 12 Tony Award nominations in total, five awards at the end of the night. I should say, Sidney Lucas. Sidney Lucas. Lucas deserved to win that Tony Award. I did not look up who she was going up against. I do not have a reference for that, but her performance at the Tony Awards is fantastic. I will give a quick summary regarding my feelings. Oh, regarding that performance in just a moment. But we have to talk about the plot first, okay? The plot of Fun Home. 43-year-old Alison Bechtel, hereafter referred to as Alison of the present day, sits at her drawing table and begins to work on her memoirs. Through a series of flashbacks, we meet two other versions of our protagonist. Small Allison, who is 10, and Medium Allison, who is 19. Small Allison is a tomboy with a burgeoning talent for art. Medium Allison is coming to terms with her sexuality while attending Oberlin College. Small and Medium Allison have the same problem. They have no idea how to relate to their father, Bruce. To quote Allison of the present day, quote, My dad and I both grew up in the same small Pennsylvania town, and he was gay, and I was gay, and he killed himself, and I became a lesbian cartoonist. Quote, a quick note of context before we move on, Small Allison is living in the year 1970, while Medium Allison is heading to college around the start of the 1980s. And while Small and Medium Allison are official character names found within Lisa Crone's book, Allison of the present day is a moniker of my own creation. I I hope this helps us to avoid any confusion as we move forward with this summary. The following is a breakdown
breakdown of the vignettes that populate this week's subject. Small Allison kicks things off by demanding a game of airplane from her father, who is too busy examining antiques he picked up from a neighbor. Allison of the present day cannot see the beauty Bruce identified in these objects, but there is truth within them, and as such, they are some of the only clues that speak to her father's interior life. Small Allison's mother, Helen, commandeers the Bechtel children in a race to clean their carefully restored home. Bruce is anticipating a visit from the Allegheny Historical Society, and his precise obsessive standards must be upheld. To quote Lisa Crone's lyrics, quote, he wants the brass candelabra set at an angle. He wants the bust of Quixote square on the mantle. He wants them alphabetized by classification, etc., etc. Bruce is a bit of a pill. Medium Allison calls her father from Oberlin and receives a piece of unsolicited advice. Quote, One surprising thing you learn when you go away to college, people just aren't as smart as you want them to be. Trust your instincts, kid. You don't need to twist yourself in knots trying to impress people who are not worthy of you. Quote, Bruce consults with a grieving man at the Bechtel Funeral Home, a business that has been in the family for several generations. Small Allison pretends to film a commercial for the fun home alongside her brothers, John and Christian. They refer to the funeral as the fun home. I just want to underline that point. Bruce calls Small Allison into the embalming room where he is operating on a cadaver. He asks his daughter for a pair of scissors and she leaves shortly thereafter. Allison of the present day is perplexed by this experience. I should say this scene is quite chilling in the graphic novel, which leaves me to wonder how it plays on stage. Bechtel's depiction of the cadaver is highly detailed. Were Broadway audiences subjected to dick, pubes, and a gaping chest wound? Perhaps they were, I don't know! Medium Allison stands outside the office of Oberlin's Gay Union. She bumps into a lesbian named Joan and panics, claiming she is in search of the German club. Bruce and Helen fight over Roy, a young man who has been hired by Bruce to do work around the house. Helen practices piano while the men drink sherry. Bruce instructs Roy to unbutton his shirt. Did I mention Roy used to be Bruce's student? Bruce is an English teacher at the local high school. Bruce is a bit of a pervert. Medium Allison comes out to Joan while drawing posters for an anti-nuke protest. A belated show fact for you, per Wikipedia, Fun Home was the first Broadway musical to feature a lesbian protagonist. More lesbian protagonists in musicals, if you please. Small Allison argues with Bruce over a party outfit. She wants to wear jeans while he wants her in a dress. When Bruce implies the other girls at the party will make fun of her, Small Allison reluctantly gives in to her father's demands. Medium Allison comes out to her parents in a letter. Joan kisses her, and they spend the night together. As Joan sleeps, Medium Allison basks in the afterglow. Bruce ruins Small Allison's school project. Allison of the present day reflects on her father's small life, nearly all of which could fit within a circle drawn on a map. Bruce picks up an underage boy and offers him a ride, as well as a beer. Bad. Bruce. No. Bad. No good. Bruce informs Small Allison he is seeing a psychiatrist. Quote, because I do dumb, dangerous things. Because I'm bad. Not good like you. Quote, Helen admits the psychiatrist was ordered by a judge, but refuses to speak further on the matter. 
Bruce and Helen scream at each other. Small Allison imagines her family as a happy-go-lucky singing group from her favorite sitcom. Helen stays home while Bruce and the kids visit a family friend in New York City. Bruce sings Small Allison to sleep, or so he thinks, before hitting the streets of Greenwich Village. Allison of the present day wonders if her father spent the night cruising for sex. Bruce finally responds to Medium Allison's coming out letter. In traditional Bruce fashion, said response is condescending and strange. Helen, for her part, is upset by her daughter's announcement. Small Allison spots a butch truck driver while at a diner with Bruce. The woman's masculine clothes and short haircut completely captivate our protagonist. Medium Allison learns about her father's affairs with men while talking to Helen over the phone. Bruce has a manic episode and hurls a painting down a flight of stairs. Medium Allison and Joan take a trip to Pennsylvania. Helen shares more of her pain with Medium Allison while Joan bonds with Bruce in another room. Allison of the present day steps in for Medium Allison to take a drive with her father, a drive that took place many years ago. Despite present-day Allison's best efforts to rewrite the past, Bruce confides very little about his sexuality and quickly changes the subject. Bruce steps in front of a speeding truck after falling into a state of blinding despair. Allison of the present day is similarly overwhelmed, but in the end, she chooses to focus on a rare, happy memory, playing airplane with her father as a child. To quote the final line of the show, every so often there was a rare moment of perfect balance when I soared above him. Quote, unquote. For the purposes of this week's episode, I first began my journey by reading the 2006 graphic novel Fun Home, a family tragic comic. This is a fantastic memoir, and you should absolutely check it out if you have not read it before. Every panel is bursting with dense visual detail, and I especially enjoy how Bechtel makes a point of labeling certain objects within a given scene. For example, as Medium Allison delivers the news of Bruce's death, to her boss, a pop-up descriptor draws your attention to a primitive modem, quote-unquote. The food Small Allison helps Helen prepare is, in fact, meatballs. I could not get enough of these signposts, which often serve as a distraction from the Bechtel family's despair. My father was hit by a truck. Look at this old modem. Allison Bechtel is finding solace in objects, much like her father. There are of course a lot of differences between Fun Home, the graphic novel, and Fun Home, the musical. For starters, Bechtel often refers to her father as a pansy and a sissy throughout the novel. None of this language carries over into the musical, presumably because, I don't know, some theater goers would have found it unkind, I suppose? To that I say feh. Bechtel never used these terms as weapons against her father. She was trying to highlight the absurdity of a feminine, closeted man trying to stamp out the butch qualities of his daughter. There is value in pointing out such ironies. The musical cuts a section from the Greenwich Village sequence in which Allison's older brother, Christian, narrowly avoids a suspicious stranger while walking the streets alone. I could see how this would wind up on the cunning room floor, but the panic 
think Bruce expresses upon discovering Christian's absence says a lot about this guy, he immediately believes some creep is out there trying to pick up his son, which turns out to be true. Does Bruce come to this conclusion because he has experience in the matter? I'm not saying Bruce was out there hitting on 11-year-olds, but I'm also unwilling to qualify a difference between 11-year-olds and high schoolers. Children are children. The Bruce of Fun Home the Musical reads as more vital, more human, than the Bruce of Fun Home the Graphic Novel. Musical Bruce has range. Graphic Novel Bruce is a sphinx, eternally obtuse and confounding and unnerving, with a heavy-lidded expression that never changes. Admittedly, such a character would not serve a musical very well. Musicals do demand a certain degree of emotional accessibility from their characters, characters, so it stands to reason musical Bruce would need to be more articulate and forthcoming than his cartoon counterpart. Another key difference between musical Bruce and graphic novel Bruce is how the latter is often shown hitting his children. This never happens in the musical. Sure, Bruce threatens to wail small Allison at the diner, but we never see that happen, presumably because some theatergoers would have found it unkind. To that I say, fat. Bruce was unkind. Why are we trying to smooth out the more ragged edges of this man's life? Both the Allison of the musical and the Allison of the graphic novel conclude Bruce killed himself. But the novel makes room for a conflicting theory, namely that his death was merely a tragic accident. There was, after all, no actual evidence pointing to suicide. The novel goes out of its way to make this clear. I was drawn further into the novel by this lingering, dreadful ambiguity. Bechtel's anger is a direct byproduct of this ambiguity ambiguity, and I wish the musical would have leaned into that more. Am I saying Bruce should have died off stage? Maybe so. I believe it would have, I don't know, upheld a greater sense of mystery. Above all else, what struck me most about the graphic novel is the dedication. Quote, For Mom, Christian, and John, we did have a lot of fun in spite of everything. Quote, Bruce is not included in this family portrait, and his name does not appear in the novel's acknowledgments. Pretty telling, is it not? Speaks volumes, does it not? I then read the 2012 graphic novel Are You My Mother, a comic drama. This is, of course, the follow-up to Fun Home. You better believe I clocked how this second novel is dedicated to Helen Bechtel. Helen may have been a tiresome, mean, cynical, and apathetic mother. That's my reaction to her. But I am not going to sit here and say she was not deserving of a formal dedication. But Jonathan, she was homophobic. Oh, yes, I'm aware she was homophobic. Trust me, but even a homophobic mom is deserving of acknowledgement when you seat her next to a guy like Bruce Bechtel. Helen went through it. It's the least she deserves. To be clear, I would never want Helen as a mother. She treats Allison like crap throughout the majority of this novel, never stops talking about herself, and is constantly comparing Allison to other people. I saw an anti-choice lesbian on TV the other day. She was so smart and funny 
and attractive. Did you read the piece in the New York Times about the writer who basically wrote the book you've been trying to write for the last three years? They're doing very well for themselves. Infuriating. She seems infuriating. I'm happy to have read Are You My Mother, even if it does spend way too much time combing through psychoanalytic theory at the expense of its characters. Did I expect Bechtel would make room for the possibility that Bruce was bisexual? I did not. Did I expect a cameo from somewhat famous actor Dom DeLuise? No, I did not. Both Fun Home and Mother make references to the world of musical theater, with the former depicting a Broadway performance of a chorus line and the latter exploring both a little night music and the sound of music. Was I, the musical man, expecting to be catered to in such a way? I was not! I do wish the musical had explored Helen's life as a regional theater actress, as it speaks to her need for control in a life otherwise dominated by chaos. The great thing about plays and musicals is how they tell you what to say, where to go, and how to elicit the affection of an audience. Sounds pretty appealing when your home offers very little peace of mind. What else did I do? Well, I listened to the 2013 original off-Broadway cast album of Fun Home, as well as the 2015 original Broadway cast album. This recording incorporates a great deal of audio first heard on the Off-Broadway album. You're going to get a lot of carryover if you listen to both, but there are a few key differences between the two albums. There's a lot more dialogue, for one thing. Emily Skeggs has replaced Alexandra Soka in the role of Medium Allison, and most significantly, the number Al for short has been swapped out for Party Dress. They also include a short number called Pony Girl, I believe it's called. Pony Girl! I would compare the Broadway recording of Fun Home to the Scarlet Pimpernel Encore, but the latter always felt like more of a cash grab. I'm sorry, Frank Wildhorn, but I cannot tell a lie. I cut the tree with my little hatchet. I then went on to read the 2015 book by Lisa Crone, the published edition of the script via Ho! Oh, hello! The Chicago Public Library! Thank you again! <laughs> I do want to quote one line from this script that Bruce says, I find this to be very funny, quote, how many times have you been told, do not get in the caskets? Quote, I love when every word in a sentence is capitalized. I like that convention of playwriting. It's very fun to me. I also want to quote a section from the foreword by Lisa Crone, quote, it's surprisingly difficult to keep a sense of foreboding or impending sadness from creeping into all sorts of places where it shouldn't be. It's hard to trust that this this story will be sad if the characters in it don't know it's going to be sad. But you can trust us when we tell you that the more innocent your characters are of the future, the more the audience will feel the tragedy when it comes. Also, it's tempting to link the scenes in the past to each other to imply casual connections leading to Bruce's suicide. Don't do that! Each scene from the past must be played for the stakes of that scene itself and should not foreshadow what is to come. It might feel counterintuitive not to draw a narrative arc between these scenes, but if Bruce hadn't killed himself, these scenes would never have been collected together in a play. The narrative arc of this musical is located within adult Allison. It's her present tense assembly of memories that we follow. That, along with the past's innocence of the future, is what makes this musical cohere and come alive. 
Quote, I found that to be quite fascinating. And finally, I watched the 2015 Tony Awards performance of the song Ring of Keys. Sidney Lucas, it's your time. I have to say, Sidney Lucas is brilliant. And I hope she has a long and illustrious career if that is what she wishes for herself. The nuance and depth of feeling on display in this performance is astonishing. Oh my goodness. The depth, the nuance, much more, much more complex than in a lot of adult performances that you see at the Tonys. I'll say that much. Okay, it is now time to talk about the score of Fun Home, and we are going to begin with a sample from Welcome to Our House on Maple Avenue. He wants the heffa white sweet chairs back in the parlor. Move the G.I. Joe. It can't be on the floor. He wants the Dresden figurines back in the break front. A slinky mess is up the period decor. Get the lemon pledge and dust them. They should face the same direction. He wants it vacuumed, the surface gleaming. He wants it closer to the door. He wants, he wants, he wants. He wants the brass candelabra set at an angle. The crayons and the glue should go back in the drawer. He wants the bust of Quixote square on the mantel. Sweep that lint away, it's what a broom is for. Gently wipe the eucalyptus, polish up the crystal prisms. When he comes down here, he wants it ready. We've got to get it done before. He wants, he wants, he wants. Where's my bronzing stick? It's in the... Welcome to our house on Maple Avenue. See how we polish and we shine. We rearrange and realign. Everything is balanced and serene. Like chaos never happens if it's never seen. Every need we anticipate and Use on the bookcase. Find all the books we read and carefully restore. He wants them alphabetized by classification. A volume out of place could start a third world war. That's an inch out of position. Watch it as a first edition. What are we missing? What have we left out? When he comes down here, what's in store? He wants, he wants, he wants. I have a few, shall we say, protracted observations regarding some of the songs from Fun Home, so let us begin our deconstruction of the score with a few quick observations. I use quick, <laughs> I use that term loosely, real fast and loose style. Observation number one, the light touch of space age synthesizer within Welcome to Our House on Maple Avenue is really doing it for me. I can be pretty unpredictable when it comes to my feelings for a synthesizer, but it all comes down to context and execution. Does the inclusion of a synthesizer make sense? If you're producing a Gershwin show, no. But a show set in the 70s and the 80s, sure. Does the synthesizer blend with the rest of your orchestra? Ha 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 ha. If it don't blend, I'll be on the mend, my friend. Am I drunk? 
Oh god, I hope this isn't a harpsichord I'm hearing. Is it a synthesizer or a harpsichord? Uh-oh. Let's move on to observation number two. Observation number two. This one's a stretch, but I beg of you. Oh, I beg of you. Oh, please, stay with me. I can't help but pair a part of this song with a certain variety show's theme song. Patty and Benny have informed me this is indeed a stretch, but as their boss and king and god, I find I must force my hand. Play that clip. I command you to play that clip. If I'm nuttier than a barrel of monkeys, so be it. There are worse fates. Thank you for playing that clip, Benny. I love you, Benny. the Bechtel kids is their natural enthusiasm for a business steeped in despair, an enthusiasm which we see demonstrated in the number Come to the Fun Home. These children have been surrounded by death since birth, and the concept of solemnity was thrown out long ago. Come to the Fun Home should be the ad campaign for every funeral home. When I die, I want three siblings dancing on my coffin, singing what it is, what it is, who? 
ho, ho. I want small Allison wielding an aneurysm hook like a sword. I want the whole package. Speaking of small Allison, Sidney Lucas's delivery of your papa died. Oh my God, <laughs> that is inspired. Those staccato pops are still ringing in my ears. Papa, your papa died. I'm also a fan of Christian's sweaty vamping. Tell him what we got. Tell him what we got, Tito. What else have we got? What else have we got, you guys? Christian has been left at the wheel while his brother and sister scramble for props, and it's hilarious. Guys, please, I can only keep us afloat for so long. What is happening? Do not leave me holding the bag like this. Oh, no, you don't. T-shirt off. Look, you've messed this up already. Where's your barrette? Ow! Sneakers. Why? Because you're going to a party. Here. I don't want to wear those. Oh, tough titty. I despise this dress. What's the matter with boy shirts and pants? You're a girl. This dress makes me feel like a clown. I hate it. That's enough. We're late. You're wearing a girl color? Every other girl at this party is going to be wearing her prettiest dress. And you want to put on what? What? Your jean jacket? Trousers? It's all right with me. You understand you'll be the only girl there not wearing a dress, right? Is that what you want? You want people talking about you behind your back? It's all right with me. Change your clothes. Well... Go ahead. Are you going to change? Maybe not right now. Maybe not right now. Dear Mom and Dad. Good. I'm trying to tell you something, and I'm having a hard time because it's kind of a big deal. It's not that big of a deal. It might be a big deal. I don't know. Dear Mom and Dad, I'm a lesbian. For the sake of being thoroughly thorough, we should absolutely hear a bit of Al for short, the off-Broadway number that was replaced by the number you just heard, Party Dress. Benny, a bit of Al for short, if you please. For short, hey, yo, yeah, this is my Mustang convertible, yeah, I found it at the dump, pow, I fixed it up myself, wham, I'm on a ride, I'm going to Paris, no, alright, see you later, yeah, I'm in Paris in my Mustang, on the Boulet Boulevard, oh no, did that man just shove that lady, did he make her cry, pardonnez-moi, mademoiselle, j'ai voudrais to make sure everything is, uh, Hortier, mind of all your business. I grabbed his arm, twisted behind his back. Excuse me, monsieur, but I believe I was talking to the mademoiselle. Merci, merci, you are très, très galant. What is your appel? I'm Al. Listen, Alison, Alisa, s'il vous plaît, could I ride with you in your Mustang? It is about you, but you make me feel so 
There's no denying Al for short is a charmer, but party dress serves a greater purpose. It does a better job of expanding on the father-daughter relationship at the heart of the story, and we arguably need that more in this moment than a zippy musical playdate with small Allison. On the other hand, can we not have both? I'm the Cheerios girl, why not both? Must we sacrifice one for the other? Because I do get a kick out of small Allison's Mustang French girl fantasy. It is very, very queer. I love it. Last night, are you really here? Joan, 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 Joan. Hi, Joan, don't wake up, Joan. Oh my God, last night. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, last night. I got so excited, I was too enthusiastic. Thank you for not laughing while well, you laughed a little bit. At one point when I was touching you and said I might lose consciousness, which you said was adorable, and I just have to trust that you don't think I'm an idiot or some kind of an animal. I never lost control due to overwhelming lust, but I must say that I'm changing my major to Joan. I'm changing my major to sex with Joan. I'm changing my major to sex with Joan, with a minor in kissing Joan. Foreign study to Joan's inner thighs, a seminar on Joan's ass in her Levi's, and Joan's crazy brown eyes. Joan, I feel like Hercules. Oh, God, that sounds ridiculous. Just keep on sleeping through this, and I'll work on calming down. So by the time you've woken up, I'll be cool, I'll be collected, and I'll have found some dignity. But who needs dignity? Because this is so much better. I'm radiating happiness. Will you stay here with me for the rest of the semester? We won't need any food. We'll live on sex alone. Sex with Joan. Joan. It's a cutting-edge field and my mind is blown. I will gladly stay up every night to hone my compulsory skills with Joan. When you listen to the off-Broadway and Broadway recordings of Changing My Major, you quickly come to identify the similarities and differences between Alexandra Soka and Emily Skeggs. Vocally, I would say they're evenly matched, the pipes are not the issue, and I don't mean for this to be a contest in which two actresses are pitted against each other, but when it comes to the book scenes, Soka has a clear advantage over Skeggs. Soka lends a subtle degree of goofiness to Medium Allison that is noticeably absent in Skeggs's performance. Skeggs is sharpening the edges of this character, and frankly, I am not interested in sharp edges. What's more, Soka has more chemistry with Roberta Colandres, who played Joan in both iterations of Fun Home. I'm sorry, Emily Skeggs, I realize you tried your best, but I know how my medium Allison bread is butter. I thought it was supposed to be wrong, but you seem okay with being strong. I want I 
is an I want song for someone who is only just beginning to find the words for what they want. And what Small Allison wants is overwhelming and frightening and thrilling and embarrassing all at once. Every statement of intent withers on the vine. I feel... I want to... You're so... Hearing Small Allison sigh as her declarations evaporate left bruises on my heart. I tell you what, no child should have to feel ashamed of their feelings, yet there are so many parents like Bruce who work very, very hard to encourage that shame. I understand Bruce Bechtel was a mentally ill man who struggled and suffered, but he was also a bad father, and I have little in the way of patience for him. That's my diagnosis at the end of the day. Uh, But to my original point, Ring of Keys and Changing My Major do not exist in separate vacuums. They are actually two halves of a thoroughly epic I Want anthem. The gaps left by the former are filled in by... By the ladder. I love that. I love a lot about this show, if you couldn't tell. Welcome to our house on Maple Avenue. See how we polish and we shine. We rearrange and realign. Everything is balanced and... And... Days and days and days, that's how it happens. Days and days and days, made of lunches and car rides and shirts and socks and grades and piano, and no one clocks the day you disappear. Days and days and days, that's how it happens. Days and days and days, made of posing and bragging and fits of rage. And boys, my God, some of them underage. And oh, how 
father swept me off my feet with words. We read books, strolled through Munich at night, drank beer with friends, discussed the places we would go. And he said I understood how the world made him ache. But no. But no. That's how it happens. Days made of bargains I made because I thought as a wife I was meant to. And now my life is shattered and laid bare. Days and days and days and days and days and days and days. Welcome to our house on Maple Avenue. See how we polish and we shine. We rearrange and realign. Everything is balanced and serene. Like chaos never happens if it's Okay, so here's the thing. I would like to compare Days and Days, which you just heard, to Patterns, which is a song from David Shire and Richard Maltby Jr.'s Baby. But the plot summary Wikipedia provides for Baby has left me feeling confused. So do me a favor, do me a solid, Benny. Play a bit of Patterns while I do some digging, will ya? Thank you in advance. Patterns in my life that I trace every day Patterns as I say the things I always say Patterns in the ceiling as I lie awake Why are patterns haunting every move I make? Just look, here I am on cue Again, upset, feeling torn in two Again, afraid, saying I'm okay Making little jokes till I run away again. And yet today I am not the same. I feel my life slipping from its frame. Strange feelings rise, feelings with no name. And I can't face them, so I shake them hard. Hold them up and tuck them safely away again. 
have sworn the plot of Baby involved an experience I hesitate to reference, actually, without issuing a trigger warning first, as it might upset some listeners. My warning having been issued, I have to ask, does the plot of Baby not involve a miscarriage? I was in a production of Baby, and I'm certain a character named Arlene loses her baby, but I cannot find any evidence of this online. I will move forward assuming my instincts are correct, fingers crossed, knock on wood, knock three times on the ceiling if you want me moving on. While singing their respective numbers, Arlene of Baby and Helen of Fun Home live within the same liminal space. They cannot move into the next chapter of their lives because they cannot make sense of their own stories. How did I get here, they ask. What did I lose along the way? Is there value in marriage and motherhood when they come with so much pain and doubt? Helen got what Arlene wants, another chance to raise a child. But if you ask me, Helen never should have had one kid, let alone three. She still wound up miserable, hemmed in by her own decisions and concessions, and she has no idea what she would change about the past, even if she had the opportunity. Arlene is in the same boat. Parallels, parallels. We'll talk more about Baby in the future. Until then, let's keep moving forward with this week's subject. Peeling plaster, sagging roof, two missing stairs, a buckled wall. I'm fired up to do this, but on my own at all. So much damage, broken windows, pipes are shit, crap veneer. It's hours later, Jesus, I'm still standing here, still standing here. But when the sunlight hits the parlor wall at certain times of day I see how fine this house could be I see it so damn clear what's the matter why am I standing here that foundation twisting floorboards shoddy pipes gaping hole it's a lot it's a lot to keep under control something's cracking something's rotting piles of ruin and debris killing me crushing me pushing me but when the sunlight hits the parlor wall at certain times of day I see how fine this house could be I see it so damn clear What's the matter? Why am I standing here? Dear Al, I'm scared I had a life I thought I understood I took it and I squeezed out every bit of life I could but the edges of the world that held me up have gone away And I'm falling into nothingness Or flying into something so sublime And I'm a man I don't know who am I now or do I go I can't go back, I can't find my way through I might still break a heart or two 
sunlight hits the parlor wall at certain times of day. I see how fine this house could be. I see it so damn clear. Edges of the World finds Bruce living through the final and terrifying moments of his life. But before we get into all of that, I would like to offer a quote from the show's opening number, It All Comes Back. In that number, Bruce tells Allison, quote, Beauty is what is true, quote, which reminded me of a moment from Sunday in the Park with George. During the song Beautiful, George says to his mother, quote, Pretty isn't beautiful, mother. Pretty is what changes. What the eye arranges is what is beautiful. Quote. Bruce and George have precise ideas as to how one should define beauty, which is all well and good, but I'm more interested in how George's relationship with his mother compares to that of Allison and Bruce. That was the journey I went on. Ultimately, I wanted to compare these two pairings. In Edges of the World, Bruce sings, quote, I had a life I thought I understood. I took it and squeezed out every bit of life I could. But the edges of the world that held me up have gone away, and I'm falling into nothingness. Quote. In Beautiful, George's mother sings, quote, I see towers where there were trees, going, all the stillness and the solitude, Georgie, Sundays disappearing all the time when things were beautiful, quote. The parents are afraid of dying, of losing control, duh, doy, doy, doy. And they address these fears by describing the world as if it is falling apart. To quote Bruce again, quote, something cracking, something rotting, piles of ruin and debris, killing me, crushing me, pushing me, quote. George's mother, quote, fading, it keeps fading, it keeps melting before our eyes as we sit here, quote. Allison and George want nothing more than to get through to their parents. They want to assert themselves as being worthy of their parents' love, but they also want to comfort them, reassure them. But Allison and George are not getting through to their parents. They can't. Their parents are already in the process of crossing over into death. Time is not merely running short. It is practically the zero hour for these old goats, and the children will not be the same once they've gone. George and Allison also want to evolve past their parents' unhealthy behaviors. They would love to be more open-hearted and less obsessed with art, but the odds of falling prey to familial tendencies are high. It doesn't help how Bruce and George's mother share disdain for the art their children produce. This only pushes George and Allison further toward their art and away from those who would actually help them to change. Friends, lovers, etc. At least George's mother respects her son's ability to freeze time with his paintings. He can stop the clock, which inspires awe within her. Bruce does not like cartoons. He views Allison's work as pedestrian, which is hardly surprising. He's too obsessed with arranging his house in some grasping attempt at perfection. His standards of beauty are informed by little more than mania, and he is therefore incapable of caring about anything else. 
parents, children, apples falling from trees, and so forth. I do hope you enjoyed this thesis of mine, because it pleases me to no end. Prior to this week, I never would have thought to compare Fun Home with Sunday, even though there is a clear reference in the latter within the former. Bum bum bum? Anyone? The characters in Fun Home say bum bum bum. <laughs> bum 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 bum. It's not that obvious, but they do say bum bum bum. It's there. Oh wow. I love to say bum. P.S. The orchestra effect for the truck's deafening horn. Oh my god, that is incredibly effective. They somehow make that sound with string instruments. I don't know how they do. I really can't speak to the arrangements, the orchestrations. I really can't, but I was impressed nonetheless. Okay, that's all I have to say regarding the Fun Home score. It is now time to hear from our fine sponsor, 5678 Coffee. Take it away, 5678. of England. <laughs> hello, hello there, everyone. Shut up. King George is talking. Georgie Poo here. I'm here to talk about the three things that I love in this world. <laughs> well, four. Let's start with, let's start with my crown. Oh, it's bejeweled. It's quite heavy. And my skull is sinking in to my collarbone, but I don't care, because my crown is worth it, baby, so that's number one of four. Oh, myself, that's number two, of course. I love myself. I love the fact that I'm sinking into myself, that I'm a creepy little ooh, hobgoblin of a man. I have little string fingers, ooh, little string fingers that <laughs> I like to tickle me nips with them is what I do. <laughs> I like to walk around nude except for my crown. And ooh, how I love to stimulate my little pepperoni nips with my string fingers. Salad fingers? No. Silly string fingers, you fool. That's number two to review. Number one, crown. Number two, myself. Number three, five, six, seven, eight, coffee. Oh, I love the delicious taste of this coffee. You Americans can keep your tea. Oh, we're throwing the tea to the harbor. I'm an American. Bald eagle laying eggs, chop chop eating their own children. Who cares? I don't care about the tea. Just leave me my five, six, seven, eight coffee, you yanks. It's how I survive every goddamn day of the of the life that I spend as King George III. So, to review, number one, crown, very good. Number two, myself, yes, very good. Number three, five, six, seven, eight, coffee, lots of numbers in this ad. Keep up, keep up, you fuck. And number four, finally, oh, this is the only other thing I care about in this world, and that is the upcoming animated Sony motion picture, Vivo. <laughs> oh my God, I cannot wait to watch that film. It's about a tiny yellow monkey named Vivo who sings and plays the guitar and has a little hat. And the hat, oh, it's like a crown. This monkey is a king. Oh, but he better not come from my throne. No, no. Actually, that's number five. I do love my throne. Uh, but listen here, Vivo. I love you very much, but your hat is very much like a crown, and I need you to stay far away from my throne. Do you understand, Vivo? Other than that, oh, I cannot wait to get into your escapades, to learn 
more about your adventures. He has a love song that he has to deliver. Oh, it's, it's a story for the ages. Anyway, I have to go. Oh, oh, I can already tell that I'm going to be shitting for the next nine hours. <laughs> you don't understand. I've been drinking five, six, seven, eight coffee by the pitcher fool while eating rubies. That's true. And I have a feeling that I'm going to be shitting rubies for the next hour. So let's wrap this up, shall we? Oh my god, five, six, seven, eight coffee. You can count on it to deliver a delicious, rich aroma, a delicious, rich taste, and you can guarantee, you can count on the fact, I should say, that these shits are going to be about the size of Vivo, the monkey, coming soon to Netflix. All right, I have to go. Goodbye. And to the Americans listening, oh, I hope you have a good day not having insurance. <laughs> what a burn. <laughs> Final thoughts regarding Fun Home. Oh my god, this show is so moving. I was moved several times. I was an emotionally unstable gay kid with a depressive dad who often had no idea how to relate to me, and so I take a good deal of comfort in Bechtel's story. Why is dad mad at me? Why is dad taking a two-hour nap? It's because he's overwhelmed. He's overwhelmed, Jonathan. For the record, my dad is better now, and I love him very much. Picture me with a mustache and a beard, and about 30 more years, 30 to 40 more years on top of what you got right here in your ears. That's my dad. Now, in 2015, as a reminder, Fun Home won the Tony Award for Best Musical. The other nominees that season were An American in Paris, which we have covered previously on the podcast, but also Something Rotten and The Visit, which we have not talked about yet. Do I believe Fun Home should keep its award for Best Musical when compared to these other shows? Yes, of course I do. Fun Home, you deserve to keep it. You're gonna keep it. I'm never taking it away from you. Never, never, never. Just know that for the future. Let us now rank Fun Home against all of the other musicals we have talked about here on The Musical Man. As always, if you want to take a look at this full ranking, all you have to do is find our link tree. We have a link to our link tree on twitter.com slash musicalmanpod. Follow us, why don't you, while you're visiting. Why don't you, why don't you? All right, so where does Fun Home fall on this ranking? I am going to place it at number 24 between Funny Girl, which is at number 23, and Hamilton at number 25. There you go, mystery solved. I have exactly one piece of show-related ephemera for you this time around. I would like to read a transcription of a comic I found. This was written and drawn by Alison Bechtel. It is a standalone strip. It is called Fun Home, the Musical, and it was published on July 2nd, 2014. Here is the transcription of that strip. I missed the opening night of Fun Home, the off-Broadway musical adapted from a graphic memoir I had published seven years earlier. Due to a scheduling conflict, I found myself in a hotel in rural Ohio, repeatedly refreshing the New York Times theater page. I was just glad to be in Ohio that night. It was familiar. 
Growing up in Pennsylvania, New York City had always been a distant beacon. I had ceded any creative control over the play. When I saw a preview two weeks earlier, I'd been stunned by how good it was. But then, how could I have any critical objectivity whatsoever about a musical based on my own real life and family? My memoir had been an intricate, non-linear account of my closeted gay father's suicide and my own coming out as a lesbian. I couldn't imagine anyone breaking into song. But then I learned that musicals are always about life and death situations. And here we were, singing! One of my earliest childhood memories had become a lesbian anthem. My excruciatingly awkward first sexual experience was turned into an exuberant showstopper. My mother, who had been a vague character in my book, was fleshed out with a devastating song about the toll of sacrifice. And the moment my father steps in front of the truck is a raw, dissonant revelation. My real mother had been ambivalent about my book, and she was even more so about the musical. Quote, Well, I'll be interested to see the reviews. Quote, She was passionate about the theater. I learned from her that the Times Review meant life or death for a play. The show spent years in development. Mom died five months before it opened. I was never really invested in her seeing it. I knew it would have been too painful for her in many different ways. But how I wish she could have seen the review. It was a startling, unqualified rave. My parents, who had met as it happened in a play, would get to go on living in one. I'm convinced Helen Bechtel would not have cared for the musical, and I'm happy Allison was spared from having to hear her reaction. I believe it would have gone a little something like this. Well, it's not exactly the seagull, is it? I just, I don't know. I feel bad for Allison. Oh boy, okay, so to determine which show we discuss next, we'll need to take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the random number generator I named after that classic Rodgers and Hammerstein show, Minnesota and Her Children. That's right. We're doing a take two. We are officially using this name. We had to ditch it last time around, but no, no, no. Minnesota and her children, you are the show for this episode. That's true. Minnesota, dot, 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 and her children. Okay, are we ready to take a ride on the musical carousel? All right, then away we go. Our next subject on the main feed is a 1966 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical, and it ran for 608 performances. Do you know the musical that I'm talking about? Oh, maybe you do. It's a big one. This is a big one. It's Sweet Charity, and that episode is going to drop on the main feed on August 18th. Oh, but wait a minute. You said that we were going to go back to a weekly schedule. Well, frankly, I thought that's what was going to happen too, but I need a mental health week. I need a week. I need a week is what I do. And it doesn't help that market days is going to be all the fucking rage. It is going to be in full swing in my neighborhood on the weekend that I would like to do a sweet charity episode. So for the sake of just avoiding all of that noise, Jesus Christ, no thank you. I do not want to try and record during that 
Oh, that chaos, no thanks. And I just, I, I really do need a break, I really do. So I promise to you, when I give you a hard date, you know that I stick to it. My deliverables always come in on time. The Sweet Charity episode will drop on August 18th. So there you go. Go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to find out how you can support the show financially. As a reminder, 100% of every monthly payout is donated to the Okra Project. We used to donate to Black Lives Matter. We have shifted our focus. Focus, as a reminder, and we are now giving every red cent that we earn to the Okra Project, a wonderful organization. You can donate one, three, five, or ten dollars a month. If you donate one dollar a month, you get Monday early access to every single main feed episode. You get a verbal shout out each and every week. Thank you for donating at least one dollar a month. Jason, Jack, Vitor, Sydney, Katie, Elena, Anton, Ross, HJG, Jared, Eli, David, Dave, Christopher, Neil, Brian, Robin, Liz, Carrie, Maddie, John. Jonathan Marquez, Rob, Shauna, Shiante, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris, JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. Let's put even more names on that list. Let's get that list to a length that is absurd. You also get 13 bonus episodes regarding the 73rd Annual Tony Awards, the trailer for the film Cats, ABC's The Little Mermaid Live, a full review of the film Cats, a review of the stage musical Emma, Take Me to the World, a Sondheim 90th birthday celebration, Celebration. Hamilton via Disney Plus, Documentary Now, Original Cast Album, Co-op, John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch, Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey, Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square, Arlo the Alligator Boy, and the trailer for Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. You also get Season 1, 12 episodes of Radio Boy, and M3, The Movie Musical Man. We have nine episodes of this series at this point. We have produced nine episodes, I should say, and the ten episode will be dropping on August 25th. This is a show for which we discuss trilogies of movie musicals that are tied by a common theme, and the theme for the August episode is the Around the World trilogy. These are all non-English language movie musicals. We're going to be talking about Black Orpheus, Lagan, Once Upon a Time in India, and Eight Women, so be on the lookout for that. If you donate $3 a month, you get everything I've already described, plus a musical shout out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing. You get season one, ten episodes of Wildcats Everywhere, the high school musical podcast, and a one-off episode about season one of Julie and the Phantoms. Five dollars a month will get you everything I've already described, plus you get to stop the musical carousel and determine what show I discuss on the podcast. That is what we were doing this week. Our wonderfully dedicated patron Sydney wanted us to talk about Fun Home, and so we did. But you also get seasons one and two, that's 24 episodes of All I Ask of You, an advice show hosted by the Phantom of the Opera. You also get access to our Broadway in Chicago review series and Shout About It, volumes one and two. Those are collections of five, six, seven, eight coffee ads and musical shoutouts from the first 50 episodes of the show. And finally, $10 a month will get you everything I've already described, along with exclusive announcements regarding future subjects of the main feed, Season 1, 12 episodes of The Snub Club, which is dedicated to Broadway musicals that were not nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. And on top of all of that, you get the first six episodes of Turn It Off, which is dedicated to off-Broadway musicals. We talk about Emojiland, Soft Power, The Fantastics, We Are the Tigers, Bat Boy, and A Strange Loop. If you are listening to the show via Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, please take a moment to write a five-star review of the show. You can stream us 
us via Spotify, Stitcher, Audible, and Podbean, musicalmanpod.podbean.com. You can follow us on Twitter at musicalmanpod and email us at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. Thanks as always to Patty and Benny, Alex Green for our beautiful logo, and Zach Little for our fabulous music. Ah, you know what that sound means? Yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh well, we'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, auf Wiedersehen, and good night. It's me, Dom DeLuise, the voice of Itchy. <laughs> when things go wrong in cartoons, it can be funny. But in real life, it can be tragic. In the movie, Itchy was lucky. But some kids aren't. Drugs, crime, and gangs really damage their lives. There's one organization that provides a positive alternative, the Boys and Girls Club of America. At the Boys and Girls Club, a kid can play sports, study computers, learn all kinds of new skills. With your support, the Boys and Girls Club can help a kid beat the streets. That's an